Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, Bailey Hancock here. Welcome back to the show. Today, my guest is Leanne Fuller, who is a culture consultant who specializes in sexual harassment, which I don't know, isn't pertinent to the current landscape at all. Um, But prior to that, Leanne has had quite the career adventure, and I'm going to let her tell you all about that. So first things first, Leanne, welcome to the party. Thank you, Bailey. It's really nice to be here. I am super excited to get to talking. So start us at the very beginning. What did little Leanne want to be when she grew up? Oh my gosh, I actually wanted to own a baseball team, but that was when I was really little. Um, Where do you I think that came from? I, you know, I grew up in Kansas City and my, that's what everybody did. They watched uh, baseball, but it kind of led to wanting to be in a journalism major and wanting to write about what was going on in the world. Um, and so I went off to school to be a communications major um, in a little college in Kansas City when I was very young and um, graduated. And then went off to my very first job at a jewelry store. Oh, were you like selling jewelry? I was selling jewelry in a little mall store. Not necessarily the dream, but a great way to pay the bills. Um, Which is funny because it's actually the beginning of the story that leads to where I'm at today. But there's a lot that went on in between. So I was just a little salesperson at a jewelry store. And... Um, that's actually where I first encountered my sexual harassment. That ah, yeah, mall jobs, I feel like, are are not uncommon for that to happen. Yeah, it's just kind of an environment where there aren't a lot of rules, even though it's a corporate structure, there isn't a great um, system in place. And so I was just working there with some managers, and the vice president of the company would come in and have conversations with me that were inappropriate and uncomfortable. Um, and that grew into him, you know, he'd pinch my arm or invite me to lunch. It was just, it was icky. He just wanted to go home and have a shower every time. Yeah. But I was only 22 and I really didn't know what was going on or what to do about it. Yeah. That's such a, like a prime age for confusion across the board anyway. And then you throw in something like that and it's like, well, what, what do I, yeah. What do you even do at that point? Yeah. Where do you go with that? So I did tell my managers is what I did. Um, and their response was, can you just let him do that? Because he really helps us out with sales here. That's why we all hit our goals. Ew. Yeah. So that was the response. So it went on for about a year. And finally, one night, um, I had become a manager. I was locking up the store. And the key broke off in the lock. And in a jewelry store, because of the jewelry, there's a lot of rules about whether you can be alone there. There's just so much, you know. There's so much merchandise, such high value. So I had another salesperson there, and I called all of the management team to try to get all of someone to help me. No one answered the phone. And then, of course, the final person was this gentleman. So I had to call him, and he came in. And, and funny enough, I guess maybe out of naivety, at the time I wasn't afraid of that. Uh, I felt a little uncomfortable. I didn't think it was a big deal because there was somebody else there. But as soon as he got there, we called a locksmith, and he dismissed the other person. Mm. And so it was just he and I alone in the store after hours. And um, I went to the back, really kind of to hide. And he came back, and he tried to uh, put his hand up my shirt and kiss me. And I shoved him back. And I ran out in the middle of the store just as the locksmith came. 
And as soon as Alexis walked in, I walked out and I went home and I came back to work for maybe four or five days and then I quit because I just I couldn't stand to be there anymore. I mean, that's so hard to do too at that age. It was. I had so many bills. I didn't, I ended up being just good old fashioned waitress at the bar nearby and um, really affected my, my willingness or want my ambition about sales or working in that kind of an atmosphere again. Um, and after a few weeks, I uh, was talking to some people that worked there and decided to talk to a lawyer about what had happened. And I filed a lawsuit. And when I did that, I found out that multiple other people, other women had been harassed over the years. Of course. And a couple of them came forward and we ended up suing the company and it took a while, but we won the lawsuit, hmm. um, which was amazing. It was before there was a lot of money to be had. There weren't emotional punitive damages. This suit actually helped push that come forward. But they did offer me a plea. At some point, they offered me a settlement, and I didn't take it. I just really wanted to win. By then, I'd had my first daughter, and I felt like it was important to to make a statement about it. Um, but it was hard. It was really difficult to come forward. People always questioned whether I'd done the right thing. People questioned how I dressed, what I'd done, what I had done to do make this happen. Right, because so, it's always it's always the victim's fault. Everybody knows. Always. Mm. Yeah, and so, yes, always, always at all. And so it took, you know, for years, I actually never talked about it until maybe five or six years ago when I mentioned it to my oldest daughter, who was like, look, you're like the secret ultra icon feminist. And I was like, no, I'm not. I just, I'm just this girl that had a lawsuit. But I never really, I never let myself, I guess, celebrate what we'd done because I felt so much shame in it. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it influenced a lot of my choices over the years and careers and just not really going for things that I would have normally probably done. Yeah, that's not a great way to start your adult career, you know? Really, it's not. No. But at least your story ended with some sort of validation that you weren't Absolutely. wrong. Absolutely. No, and that really, you know, that was something that was wonderful. I went on to... Um, I worked at Cellular One. I, I worked my way up in the company. I had kids. I was a stay-at-home mom for 15 years, which truth be told was my favorite job, probably. Yeah. Um, in my life. Uh, yeah, it was awesome. And then when the girls started getting older, I um, got into fitness. I took a pole dancing class in LA and fell in love with it and had my own studio and taught pole dancing for about a year and a half um, uh, before, you know, some things happened that uh, the economy declined. I went through an unexpected divorce. Mm. And so I had to close up that space and just start, you know, picking up any job that I could to make money to keep us, you know, where we need to be. Um, and that was probably the point that was the point that I would say to people, when you hit that moment where you just wonder, how did your life get there? How yeah. did you end up where you're at? And you feel like you failed at life. And that's the moment when you've got to like really make a decision about what you're going to do and it's hard and that's, that was probably the time where I you know I had to like I had to decide to just keep moving forward no matter what was happening just I just made a decision I was going to figure a way out of all the things financially that were happening so I'd lost the business the divorce had been unexpected and he had essentially just disappeared and so we were you know pretty broke and I didn't want to leave our home in LA and so I just decided I wouldn't and started taking any job I could to make that go. And how old, how old were your daughter? You had two daughters at this point, right? I did. They were 12 and 7. 
Uh, yeah, that's still pretty damn young. Actually, an, a 12-year-old daughter is probably the scariest age to have a daughter at. Yeah, she was, yeah, yeah, she's lovely now, but wow, it was hard, you know. I mean, I was, yeah, I was a nightmare from like 13 to 17. Um, I, I lovingly say that all girls, at least, from 13 to 15, 16, my, my least favorite age, and then they, then they get to that really great age, so it's all good. But right, yeah, where you was, actually become good friends with your mom, and you're like, oh, you're not yeah. a monster. <laughs> so awesome, yeah, yeah, that's it. So yeah, that was uh, that was really the turning point, funny enough, in my life because you would have thought it would have been the point where everything could have gone either way, and I guess it could have, but I just made the decision that I wasn't going to let that happen. And I worked a ton of jobs. Um, I was a personal assistant. I was a leasing consultant. I worked in an uh, exotic club for a short time because I had full dancing skills, which is crazy when you're 40 years old. Um, I mean, also side note. Good for you. <laughs> um, that's so sweet. Thank you. Um, I mean, yeah, it was like I I don't think I I mean I know for a fact I could not get a pole dancing job at thirty. <laughs> it was terrifying. Um, but we were just we were about to lose our apartment, and I just you know I was like, okay, I can do cool tricks. Let's see what happens. Uh, so I literally drove to Vegas and got a job at a club and would drive back and forth for about six months. Oh my gosh, you were while, driving back and forth from LA to Vegas. Yep. Yeah, while still trying to maintain um, that, you know, stay-at-home mom in the South Bay Redondo Beach persona for the kids. And it was, it was just kind of nuts. That was the craziest time. And then um, after about six months of that, it, it's not a pleasant job. And I felt like I was changing as a person. I just was, uh, it wasn't good for me. It wasn't healthy mentally and emotionally. And I missed the girls. And so I took a big risk and quit without anything else. And within a few days, a friend needed a personal assistant. And that's one of the things I've learned is that, you know, people would say, what are you going to do? And I was like, I don't know, but I'm going to figure it out. And that's Damn right. my mantra, you know, and I just kept doing that a lot. Um, eventually, I, if, um, I had an uncle who passed away and left us a tiny bit of money that kind of saved us from just completely falling down. And I went out to Big Sur and sat in the woods and thought about what I really wanted out of my life. And mm. um, I decided I would go to grad school and get my degree in psychology and that I needed a job that would allow that. And the next day I found the ad in the paper for the perfect workout, which is the personal training job I got. Mm. Um, and that was kind of the moment where everything started to slowly build, going up instead of down. A little bit. And how, how long ago was that? Six years ago uh, in April. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Big Sur will do that to you. It really does. Those trees have a lot to say. There is something about that air up there, the fog, the trees, the na it's like you can't help but question for better or worse your yeah. life. <laughs> yeah, and I think that when you go somewhere like that, it doesn't have to be the trees. I think for a lot of people it's the ocean. Just I think it's important to go somewhere and be able to hear yourself. Because mm. I think, you know, when you're in the middle of a storm, kind of like the one I've been in, you don't actually hear what you what you need you can't hear what you need to say to yourself you can't hear the things that will help like lead you out and it gave me a lot of clarity um and i got this little job and thought i'd work part-time and literally turned that into i've been a regional manager for four years now i opened all of texas for the company 
Um, I manage LA and the Bay. I'm about to manage San Diego and Orange County. And it was, you know, I really credit that weekend to just being able to hear what I want and then putting it in front of me, much like you say in, I think I just listened to your blogs about the steps. I just put it in front of me and kept walking towards it. Even when I knocked back down, you just got to get back up and go towards it. And, yeah. Um, yeah. It's been incredible. So um, when you made that decision in Big Sur and you were like, all right, I'm going to go to grad school. I'm going to get my life together in this version, right? Because I think we all go through multiple <laughs> phases of getting our lives together and then realizing, wait, it, it's not together again. How did that happen? <laughs> and it happens, right? We all fall off our, our path or our tracker frankly, just things change and you're not the same person throughout your entire life, obviously. So the thing that was perfect for you at 25 is not going to be the same thing that's perfect for you at 35 or beyond. And so, and sometimes even at 28. And so I think giving yourself that space to find clarity is such an important piece to point out because we, I think as people, when we know there's something that's off or that we need to change, most of us are pretty good at avoiding confirming that because if you confirm it, that means generally you have to make a decision to either not care and continuing down that path or do something about it. And so being able to decide, okay, this is what's happening. And then just putting one foot in front of the other is one of the bravest and scariest things a person can do. So yeah. Okay. And throughout your, you know, even just this bit of your story that we've heard so far, there's clearly the through line of just making it happen, just figuring it out. You know, we all get so scared that if we quit something, we'll never get another thing again. And I don't know anybody that's quit something that hasn't almost immediately had something fill its spot. And it might not be perfect, but it's something. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think it's the thing people forget. And I think people get paralyzed by the fear that they won't get the right thing. Yeah, and I think you're just right. It doesn't have to necessarily be the right thing. For one thing, sometimes the thing we think is the right thing isn't. Yeah. For instance, when I got the personal training job, I told them very adamantly I was only going to work part time. I was going to go to grad school. Well, you know, if I had stuck to that, I would have missed this amazing career that I've just I've learned so much about myself and how to work with people and manage people. It also allowed me to help my daughter through college, you know. But in my mind, I was like, no, I'm going to be a therapist. This is what I'm going to do. So sometimes you have to be able to realize, just what you said, that the next step may not be the perfect step that you think it is, and it very well could be still the perfect step. Yeah. We just, we, we base all of our decisions in life off of assumptions, and we're still just people. And you can never be fully sure really about anything, you know, because there are so many variables outside of our control. And frankly, I think most of us don't know ourselves as well as we think we do. And we have no real clue what will actually make us happy professionally. I think, you know, we, we get pretty good throughout our lives about understanding what kind of relationships would make us happy and that kind of stuff. But from a work perspective, I think we only know what we know. And that can sometimes be a hard part for then figuring out the things that you don't know. And so that's good that you were able to kind of go with the flow with this job and then be pleasantly surprised that it was actually something really great for you all along. So, so it's been six years then about that time since you decided to go to grad school, since you got this job. Um, so what was that process? So I assume you went to grad school and you were doing this on the side and then you graduate. What happens? 
so I graduated and I um, to get a to get a therapist license you have to do a lot of uh, time for free which is awesome in therapy working with people and I got to that moment where I was really close to that and I was very busy running regions and doing this thing and one of the reasons I wanted to go to grad school is to have a stable career that allowed me to make money and etc and I was literally sitting on my bed with term papers I was finishing up and I was running two regions and I had bronchitis yeah. and I remember thinking what am I doing right now why am I I went to grad school and so I love learning and my little rule following person was like but you have to finish it and my other practical side was like, I mean, you're making money and doing this whole thing over here. So at that moment, I was like, you know what? I'm not going to do the clinical or any of that. I'm, I really like where I'm at. I gleaned so much from the studies that I use every day hmm. in, you know, not only the new business we're going to talk about, but in just managing and working with people that I decided to, everyone says I can't say I quit grad school, that I stepped away if I could still go back. <laughs> and I went for it on the career path. And it was another one of those moments where I kind of went for the flow. I just made a decision on what I thought was best, knowing I could always go back. Mm -hmm. um, and it was a great decision. I'm really happy I made it. I was working myself to death. Mm -hmm. um, and I wasn't, you know, feeling good about any of it. Um, and so it was a really good decision. That's when I uh, started traveling just to San Francisco and L.A. and really took on two very large regions of people, 85 trainers. 15 studios and it just really threw myself into that. Well, and that's good that you were able to take a pause and think like, wait, do I already have the thing that I was going to grad school to get? And then you were, you were again, brave enough to decide like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go with this then. And I think that's a very important piece because the whole idea of your education being like a sunk cost, right? That a lot of people worry that they can't trade out of, you know, the thing that they went to school for because they already invested all this time and money into learning about it. And it's like, yeah, but that's such a small fraction of your life. You know, you have 40 plus years. I mean, I think most of us are going to end up working for 70 years at this point, if we're lucky, um, <laughs> not 70 till we're 70, so 50 years. Um, and that's a very long you know, time and a huge chunk of your life, more than half of it for most people. And so to worry too much about, you know, not using the degree you went to school for or changing your mind and appearing like a flake or appearing like you don't know what you're doing. None of that actually matters. Your actual happiness is what counts. So that's great. It really is true. And I also think that because we've decided that school is an important thing for everyone to do and that when you get done, you're supposed to have a job from it. <laughs> we have lost the value of everything you learn just by being a learner, a student, yes. being around people. I, I mean, I use lessons from school every day. It, it definitely was not a waste of my time or the money. I, um, you know, I think there are times when you shouldn't sink money into school. I think there are definitely times when it's not the right choice. I'm a I'm very anti-grad school proponent, unless you really need it and unless you really want it. But you did it the right way, <laughs> whether you meant to or not. You actually did it for the learning, not the piece of yeah. paper, which most yeah. people do it the other way. They don't care. I can't tell you how, and I'm a, I love learning and I'm a great student, but I would have taken a missed class in college any day, grad school any day to not have to go. And yet you're paying all this money, not for that diploma. You're paying for the right. learning, for the knowledge, for the, you know, 
as much as people hate them, the group projects that teach you so much about yourself as a coworker. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I completely agree. I, you know, it's amazing. And when you're managing people and you're working with building teams or working with problems, you know, you're, even if you're not getting a degree in psychology, you're going to learn from group projects. You're going to oh, learn man. from all those, my gosh, right? Those skills are so invaluable when you're trying to put together a team or try to get a team to work together with a lot of different personalities. And so, yeah, I think that if people go into it to truly learn, that's incredible. If they just go off with a piece of paper, unless you're, I guess, going to be a dentist or a doctor where you have to have it. But you still okay, have to, you have to really learn then if you're going to go to medical you really school. You have to learn, right. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. So when you decided to step away from grad school, did you, what did you do with the job that you, the corporate job you had then? Did you double down at that point and just really laser focus in? I did. I doubled down. I was taking over a region um, in San Francisco that had just, it had problems. Staffing was difficult up there because of cost of living and different things. And what I learned from doing that was I went in and I'd never taken over an existing region. I'd opened. Mm. So it was a very different process because you're walking into a group of people already set up in teams. And so I did. I doubled down. I spent a lot of time really analyzing how it was working why it wasn't working the way we wanted it to and what a lot of it came down to was just putting the right people together um, mm -hmm. and rearranging orchestrating that and it's actually where i learned that i had that skill i didn't know before this or probably before that um tenure in my career when i had to go into this existing region pretty successful a lot of personalities a lot of expectations and rearrange it and build it into a team that would work more efficiently and be more successful. It's now the number one region in the company. Right. Um, and they are, you know, the people that work there are incredible. They are the reason is they work so hard, but figuring out how to just consolidate that and put it together. And so I spent a ton of, and I was also running LA at the same time. So yeah, I really did. I, um, I logged a lot of hours. I'm very hands-on manager. So I got in there and got dirty and figured it out. And um, yeah, that's it. so I've done that for many years while getting to be a big part of the corporate structure company really brought us in on big projects on where the company's going and building management training and leadership training. And so that's what I did. All right. So then bring us to today. What's going so on? I, I love the company that I've been a part of, but I also felt like it's, just recently all the sexual harassment things coming out um in the news and then my own readiness to to have a new project to do something new to build something i think what you said earlier about how we're going to change over and over it's funny i'm going to go back to my divorce i it was a life lesson in that i think growing up i always believed and i think generations probably i'm 50 my age and before felt like you get a job, you get married, and you stay in those things forever, for mm -hmm. better or worse. Yep. And I think the thing I learned is that, you know, I was married 15 years. I would call it a success. It's taken me many years to say that. I but mean, I that's would. a pretty solid chunk of time to do anything. Solid chunk. Yeah. And but what I really realized is I came out of it and realized that um, just be some just because just because right something ends doesn't mean it was a failure of course. and we can change ourselves and become things over and over again which I clearly have done 
not even, you know, it wasn't pre-planned, but I have to keep going to the next step. And so I feel really like there's something else I need to do Hmm. um, in the world. And watching the sexual harassment come through, recognizing that I, I went through this so many years before it was even something people talked about. And then thinking about how I like to work with teams, build leaders, it really brought it all together that I decided to put together this consulting firm that could really guide companies through this very difficult problem with sexual harassment in the right place. And I think also with gender bias. And I think, you know, we only hear the bad stories. I think there are a lot of great companies who want to figure it out, who maybe have no issues, but are proactive or for lots of reasons, aren't realizing it's happening, but don't want it to. Mm-hmm. And that's who I really want to help. I mean, I'm happy to help everybody, but that's what I really want to get in and dig in these people and companies as those people that are learners who want to grow, see that the world needs to change and want to be a part of it. And so mm-hmm. I, uh, it may be because I turned 50 in November, but um, I had been dabbling and I really went after it in the last quarter of last year and have just been developing this whole format, which I'm super excited about. That's amazing. So you're developing this consultancy and are you still working as much as you have been? I am. (laughs) Yeah, I am. Yeah, I am doing both things. Um, I think that sometimes, you know, I love the job I do and I would never walk away from my people, but also I've done it a long time and there's there's a couple ways you can go with that. You can walk away from that, right? And that's okay. But I still love that. But I, I felt like there was something else I needed to kind of feed my soul. And so that's what really drove me towards building something new that I'm excited about. And it's working really nicely at this point. Um, you know, I mean, I, I think it's hard sometimes to be starting a job while you have a job or starting a passion while you have a passion. But, but that's the reality. That's the reality, and I think that, you know, I'm not, I'm not really ready to step away from here, but I also can see that eventually I will want to move to something else, and so that also feeds into that, and creating something I'm proud of, something I believe in, um, is just really what got to me, and it also, if you're going to be doing two things and working that hard, you can't really care about them both, so it's good yeah. to think about something you really care about and you're passionate about, otherwise it's a burden rather than something you're just excited about. I'm also, as much as I'm anti-grad school, I'm also anti-entrepreneurship in the sense that it is not something to just be entered into lightly. It's not for most people. It's not easy. It's exhausting. It's a roller coaster every day of day. However, with that being said, my advice to people that are like, oh, yeah, I think I'm going to start my own business. I'm like, oh, are you? Okay. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> Unless you can't not do that thing don't do that thing because the people that I worry more about are the ones that think that their job working for somebody else is the problem and that working for themselves will solve those problems. And unfortunately, what you come to realize when you go out on your own is you're the only one to blame for anything when you're your own boss. And I think a lot of times people realize when they do go out on their own that they might've actually had more to do with their unhappiness and their job than they previously realized. So, yeah. yeah. No, I agree. There's a lot of responsibility to doing your own thing a lot, you know, not just yourself, but the people that you're working with. I think that's one of the things I've been tackling is just 
making sure that what I'm giving companies is valuable and worthy of what I want it to be. Um, I'm certainly no expert in psychology. I didn't finish pieces of it. So I rely on experts in psychiatry and psychology if that's needed. Um, I'm an expert in people and figuring that out, but I agree, it's hard. There's, it's not easy. It can't be taken lightly. And yeah, I think you gotta get good with yourself and okay. figure out why you're unhappy before you decide to do the next thing, right? That's yeah, anytime I get asked, what's the first thing you should do when you decide you wanna quit your job or you wanna switch careers? And I'm like, you need to pump the damn brakes and you need to figure out what the actual problem is with where you are today. Because generally, we're pretty bad at identifying the actual problem behind our unhappiness. To go back to that whole giving yourself time to find clarity and to listen to yourself instead of just plowing forward every day, day in and day out, is so crucial. And even if it's taking a day off of work and just going to a spa or going on a long walk and just being alone with yourself and really trying to dig in and figure out what, like, what is the source of the unhappiness. And by all means, you need to be happy in your work. And so if it is your job, get a new job, but like, don't be crazy about it. Don't be haphazard about it. So yeah. So with you, I mean, it's obvious, like, you know, when you decided to do this, I, I feel like you from, you know, the 20, 30 minutes that I've known you now, like you, you're not a half-assed person and you're going to go all in and, but you're also not somebody that seems like she would just do something for the sake of doing it. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, I can't, I, um, that's one of the things I learned when I was doing a million jobs to try to put food on the table was that I can't do things I don't believe in, or at least can find some reason I'm, I'm behind it. I'm just not good at it. I'm not saying I wouldn't take the job if I really was hungry and needed it, but I couldn't stay in it. So yeah, I, yeah, and I think it's important when you're having those questions with yourself um, because you're unhappy in your job. You know, sometimes it's our ego that's making us unhappy. Um, sometimes it's the expectations we've decided should happen in, within a job, and, and you have to really take a look at those things yeah. and see where you fit in them and kind of use that guide. But no, I, um, I'm super passionate about this. I think that sexual harassment is... It, it, just more than um I think the movements are great so please let me say I'm a supporter of all of them but it is more than a movement it is about a cultural change that I really hope and believe can be happening you know there have been times in the history of the U.S. that this subject has come back up I mean the hill you know there are different points and it gets a lot of press and then it just disappears um not completely, but there's no momentum. This is the first right. time I think there's some real momentum. And I think that what's important about it is that we're having conversations about what sexual harassment really is about. Because right, what is it? It's not just it is, right. the crazy extreme examples. No, it's not about, it's not even about sex really at the end right. of the day. It is about the power dynamic and who has the power and how they're utilizing it. That's really what it's about. and. That's why, you know, we'll hear like Terry Crews, I heard him speak at LA Live Talks, it's great. He talked about his sexual harassment. Um, and I heard somebody comment, well, man on man, but the man that harassed him was a man of power that could change his career. So it's really about the power dynamic. And I didn't really always get the power dynamic when I was at, as a regional manager. So I managed facility managers and then 
trainers work for them. And so I manage them, but I'm kind of their secondary manager. And I always put myself on their schedule to check in with them. Every time somebody's new, they get really scared when I'm on their schedule. And I always thought that was really funny. And finally, one of my managers said, well, you can fire them. And it hit me. I was like, oh, right. Because I find myself as like, I'm easygoing. It's no big deal. But I do hold the power over that. And I think sometimes people don't realize that they hold power over each other. And Mm -hmm. so I think sometimes it can inadvertently happen because they just aren't aware of that dynamic in a workplace or even, you know, in a bar where it's a customer and a waitress. There's a power dynamic. And then there's also that physical power dynamic where men, as a rule, are always capable of physical harm to a woman if they want to. And I don't by any means think that men as a whole want to. But they are physically capable. And I'm tough, I'm strong, but they can always do that. There's a lot that goes with it, right? And that power dynamic, I think, is the thing that people, particularly the people in power, need to be aware of within their organization. Uh, that's kind of where the root That's so interesting because I don't feel like a lot of people are discussing that element of it. It is so much about sex and it's about man versus woman. But I think that brings up a lot of thoughts within me of, you know, multiple times in my own life where, you know, somebody does have some sort of power, whether they're actually feeling like they're exerting it or not, you feel the need to respond in a particular way. Or, you know, even if it's being asked to do something um, that you don't want to do, not even sexually, work-wise, that you're like, well, I, I mean, I guess I have to because I don't want to disappoint them or I don't want them to be mad at me or I don't want them to fire me or hold this against me. Um, it's even happened with me. I've had, you know, people kind of work under me before where I work, I'm really productive on Sundays. So I would just get a bunch of work done and send out emails. And I was told finally by one of them that, you know, it really stresses me out when I see an email from you on a Sunday because I feel like you need me to respond right then and there. And I'm like, oh no, God, no, that's, that's me. I'm expecting you to not even look at it till Monday. And they're like, oh, okay, well just know that that's how it feels. And I'm like, okay. So I had to start scheduling the emails to send at like a normal hour or whatever. But yeah, I mean, that brings up such an interesting conversation around power dynamics in the workplace and whether it's gender-based or not at all, yeah, how many times have you felt uncomfortable with doing something that if it were more of an even playing field, you'd just say no or you'd push back, but you don't because you feel like it might be held against you. I remember when I was working at that jewelry store, um, there was a holiday party. I didn't want to go. And my manager was like, you always have to go. You just make, even if it's for five minutes, you have to make an appearance. Otherwise, it's going to hurt your career. That stuck with me forever. Wow. It's true. Getting FaceTime with the right people is important to careers. I think we all know that. It would be silly to think it isn't. However, think about that. It's a party. Why should I have to go? You know, these little things. And maybe that is the atmosphere of your company. and, And that's okay. But then everybody should have access to go. It should be paid for. Like, you know, there's things. Your email example is awesome. I um, am notorious about sending emails late at night because my daughter gets home at three, I hang out with her and then I work at night, right? And I always have learned, I have also learned now when I, when I onboard somebody to my staff, I'm like, listen, I work weird hours. I never expect you to respond unless you're at work. You know, just setting up those expectations and those boundaries. 
And so, yeah, I mean, I think it does bring a lot of different questions up. And I think the big elephant in the room is that nobody wants to talk about any of it. You know, I've heard more guys say, we don't know what to do, so just stop talking about it. And I think it would be better if people talked about it even if they said the wrong thing to get it out. But people are afraid to talk about it. Women are afraid to talk about it with guys because they don't want to appear like they're um, angry or agitated or, you know, accusatory. Men don't want to maybe mentor women because they're afraid of getting in trouble. Right. Absolutely. So that's one of the things that, um, that we go in to do is that really we just go in in the beginning if somebody wants us to come in and just evaluate the office mm-hmm. the systems your processes how you're promoting people and just look at all of it and make some recommendations um, one of the most interesting things that i have noticed is that generally the person if you do have a problem that is the problem is usually thought of as some sort of bully to lots of people if you really have a problem with somebody, like guys are like, well, I don't know what to say. I get that. But the real problems are the people that are bullies, men or women, everybody thinks of them as a bully. Yeah. They are the first people you should be looking at. Because if they're bullying each other in different ways, there's a good chance they could be doing that. Those personality traits for the people that really have a problem are pretty obvious. And I read a couple of articles this morning where men stated, you know, if you're if you're really doing what you think is right and you're having the conversations, then you shouldn't be scared. And I think right. that's really true. I yeah, mean, I think, I, I think if anything good will come of this movement and hopefully continuation of the conversation is just that a conversation. Because we're being forced to really think about the vast scale from minor to extreme of what is okay and what is not okay in every area of our lives, in the workplace, personally. And my husband and I have had a lot of conversations about this. And for any man that's like, yeah, I don't know. I I just, I don't want to be accused of something. You know, I've, I've talked with Charlie about that. And he's like, there's never been a moment in my life where I was worried about being accused of something because I've never put anybody in a position like that ever. So, you know, you know. Yeah. And even if someone felt uncomfortable and they came to Charlie and said, I felt uncomfortable, he'd have that conversation, right? right? And that's, that's, I think, the thing about it. It's a really interesting, when I hear that, I, I also had a gentleman on the plane, I was telling him what I did, and he said, oh, I don't really understand sexual harassment. I mean, does it even exist? <laughs> and that goes back to that. I was like, I just did it. my right hand just wanted to like, you know, whack him, but I didn't. Um, How much longer 30. of the flight did you have left at that point? I put my hat on and have oh. um it's probably 30 from the Midwest Caucasian. And I said to him, Well, yeah, I'm not surprised you probably never ever experienced not being in the position of power as a white male in America in his mid-30s as a business guy. And, you know, again, it goes back to that paradigm when you're like, why doesn't she just say no? You've read many articles about, well, I worked 20 years to get the spot and now this is the one guy that will destroy my whole career. Or, gosh, in, um, I think it's a Times article, it, this one was shocking to me. I don't know why I wasn't, I shouldn't have been surprised, but the housekeepers in a hotel room who need to feed their kids. And yeah. I have been in that position where you're like, okay, well, I've got to feed my kids, right? And so 
all of that needs to be talked about. And I think another thing that's happening in corporate America is we put processes in place. We have sexual harassment training. We have an HR department. Well, I read this great article and something I've been working with my clients are on is it's really about culture. Because if people don't trust HR, for example, when the Wells Fargo scandal came out, people had told HR, HR did nothing. Right. Sometimes having somebody from the outside come in and look at everything is one of the most important things you can do. And I think the other thing that can happen is that um, I don't think those departments are doing the wrong thing, but if the culture in the company isn't to be forthcoming or accountable or speak out without some kind of repercussions, it's going to be hard for people to even go to HR. Yeah, policy gonna, doesn't really matter if nobody's going to adhere to it. Matter. Absolutely right. And so um, that's one of the things I think I've done the most of is looking at those policies with a clean eye, not as somebody in the middle of that space, and also not as somebody in the middle of a trauma or feeling like I'm being harassed yeah. or feeling like I'm being accused. I think both ends get, you know, they get to process, you got to talk about what's happening and go from there. Um, um, and so I think that, um, I think that's a huge, a huge problem. And again, it's about culture. And that's one of the things I want to, I really want to emphasize. It's about uh, building good leaders who understand how to process these things, building people who can have conversations with people and they come to them and say, yeah. I'm having an issue with my manager finding ways to maybe change where they work, finding ways about taking their career out of their hands. There are so many solutions, but as you said, we have to. Right, I mean, it's just the beginning. And I think the thing that screams out to me is the most important piece of this is the transparency. And it's the ability to actually have these conversations with the people that can actually do something about it and not feeling so fearful of the repercussions. Yeah, and I think that is really the number one thing. And, you know, again, I go back to mine. I did go to my manager. I went to the assistant manager, and then I went to the store manager. There was no, there was an HR department, but it wasn't in my, in my store, right. right? And I think that's pretty common in this day and age. Like my company, we are, we all work remotely. The corporate office is far away. There's not one office that I can walk in and have a quick conversation with someone. You know, quietly on the down low, it becomes a phone call. It's an appointment. Right. And so teaching companies to have processes that open that up, my only, you know, place to go at that point would have been either calling HR, this is run by the owner's, like, wife or sister. It's mm. a very big family-oriented business. Or go to the owner. Well, that's incredibly intimidating. Yeah. I don't know that any, you know, now I would at 50 after living my life. But at 23, I had no idea and when I told my next boss about this a woman I said to her I was in my late 20s I would never let this happen again she goes wouldn't you like what would you do would you actually stand up and yell at people like I don't know what you would do and so hearing that was really disappointing because it said to me oh right there isn't a, people don't feel like there's a place to go and even that many years later yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, um, it's a, I think it's one of the most important topics in the world right now that we're dealing with. I can't, you know, it goes back to many other things. I think that absolutely 
gender bias exists. I think there aren't enough women in management. And, you know, I love uh, Sheryl Sanders' book, Lean In. I think that there are lots of things women can be doing to push forward. Women don't even notice that there aren't women in business. There are a lot of women who feel like if there are two or three people in the C-suite that it's even when it's so not. And so I think that's important, but I don't think we should forget how important the guys are in this process. Oh, absolutely. Right. That's, I, I think that's important. And so beating up all the men isn't going to work. We have to have those conversations and support the ones that are really on board and really help them figure it out. With us. Right. It's co-creating solutions with the people that for now, I think for probably a little while still do hold a lot of the power. And it's not just, you know, we're not trying to kick down doors being like, all right, get out. It's our turn. Like, the thing that people confuse about feminism and equality is that it's not about women being better than men or women wanting to run everything. It's literally give us the same opportunity as men. Give us yep. the same access to, I mean, I think the thing that I think a lot of people don't realize about uh, the, the gender discrepancy in companies is that so many jobs are given off the record off, you know, the regular nine to five schedule. Like it's not always as formal of a process. I'd argue that internal moves are almost never as formal of a process as applying for a job from the outside. So if you're part of, you know, the boys club, it's funny, last night I was rewatching the beginning of Parks and Recreation. And one of the very first episodes is all about Leslie Nope, like busting into the boys club at work and you know, her having to like act like a man to get there and do all these things that made her not feel good about herself. And that was not even a conversation on like gender, you know, bias or anything like that. It was just the reality of the world. And so for the people that don't get it and don't understand why men not being willing to go to lunch with a female employee or mentor them because they're afraid that they're going to get in trouble those men then are effectively keeping women from having the same access to the off the record conversations of what jobs are available. Who's leaving soon? Like there might be a place for you to move up sooner than later if you do X, Y, and Z. And like a lot of times women get left out of those conversations. So they're, they're coming in blind. Whereas the men that are getting that insider scoop aren't. And it's just, it's just absolutely. And I think also, you know, because of the way we raise women for many years as a whole, it's not polite to speak out. It's not polite to be aggressive. I, I had a woman who is phenomenal who works for me, and I was just talking to her about holding her people accountable, and she, and she said, and I'll apologize, she's like, I don't want to be a B-I-C-C-H, you know, I don't want to be a bitch. And I was like, huh, am I a bitch? And she what? I go, am I? And she goes, no. I go, do I hold you accountable? Yeah. Right. So we've made it a bad thing right. to be a leader or be strong or hold people accountable. And that is, you know, I think that's one of the things also, it's absolutely not women's fault, but it is this place that you're right with men and then women have to step up and ask for what they want. I, you know, I have had to learn it as I went. It's not always comfortable for me either. But I've also learned that if I don't ask, then I'm very disappointed and I never know what could have happened, right? Right. Sometimes it's worked for me, sometimes it hasn't. I, you know, the first time I had to really negotiate, it was very difficult for me to ask because somewhere inside myself, I guess I didn't think I was worth it. 
Mm. And I think that's interesting. Whereas my guy friends were like, what? Of course you are. Just ask for this much. Right. And so, and that's great. And I'm glad they were there with me. But I think all those things is, it's, it's just difficult how we're seen, how we see ourselves, all of it builds in. And I think these are the conversations we're going to be having long-term. I do think that there's, you know, I think that we're going to see women stepping into positions. I think that we will see girls growing up being willing to ask for what they want and also putting boundaries up where they need them. And I, I do feel like that's a part of it. But again, like we talked about at the beginning, it's just such a more complex problem than the sensationalized stories, which are also horrible. And gosh, the things we've been reading about Harvey Weinstein or just any of these people, I mean, I have a daughter who's a, an actor. And so to imagine these are the, this is the industry, it, it's just so sad and it's scary. Hard. And so that is a huge part of it. But I think there are a lot of places where the, it's really about having those conversations, giving people the, um, the free reign to say how they feel and not be punished for it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I agree. Uh, the process of internal promotion, it's, it's tricky. I don't know the answer. I think formalizing is part of it, making sure that you're having accessible dinners, conversations. I don't know. You know, it takes you back to the old guys club, the cigar and the scotch kind of thing. And just finding ways around that are very important. Sometimes it may even mean that the woman has to just call it out. Like, I want to have a meeting with you because I know that you hang out with these people playing golf, right? So let's have our conversation here. You can do that. You know, and I think that's important. You have to. I mean, I've worked in companies where if you weren't part of the club and you didn't go to happy hour or go to lunch with each other, you were effectively left out of a lot of things that just were said in passing and a lot of just insider scoop. And that had nothing to do with being a, a girl or a guy. It was just, that's equally not as okay. You know, it, it, you shouldn't yeah. have to cram yourself into you know a culture that doesn't feel right for you either and i think there is something to be said for when you come to realize like okay this is the company's culture this is kind of the way things are done it's okay at that point to say all right maybe this isn't quite the right fit for me i'm not willing to play this game because so much of it is politics so much of it's just this is just how people do here and i think you can decide to really push against it and, you know, make changes internally. And you do have to be kind of a ballsy person to do that. And by all means, kick down doors. I love kicking down doors. I have no problem doing it. Um, yeah. But, you know, for the more introverted among us and the, the ones that just aren't comfortable being that person, I think it's really important to be able to find an environment, a company culture that does fit your style of working. And so... Absolutely. Yeah, and I think um, I agree, and I do think sometimes people think, well, that's somebody who just she's that kicking down doors is who she or he is. I would like to say you can learn. Oh I yeah, used to be actually really shy, and I couldn't close a sale to save my life, and that was around the time things I go in my twenties. So you can learn those things, but absolutely, you also find want to find uh, an environment and a job and a company that it's worth learning those things yeah. for. And that one of my, um, what I should have said about my first negotiation is the owner of my company, I said to him, worst negotiation ever. I'm really not comfortable doing this, but I have to do this because I'm not happy about money. 
And he said to me, so he goes, let's talk about it. We had the conversation. We ended it on a, we were both happy. And he said to me, please don't ever let money come between us in this relationship working here because I don't want that. We can always have these conversations. I may not say yes. We may not get where you want to go, but don't let that stop you. Like what a gift oh. to have your mentor or boss, the owner that you looked up to do that. And I think that lots of people probably feel that way, but people are afraid to say that to their boss or owner because they'll make them look weak. <sighs> and I think when you're learning to negotiate, I think it's okay to have like that, you know, just remember that they may be more on your side or willing to work with you because they do value your talent. And don't assume, don't assume they don't until you've had that conversation. Even if you have it and you're like, ah, oh, not my place. Then yeah, find the place that fits with you. That's going to be where you do your best work. Absolutely. I mean, worst case scenario can sometimes end up being best case scenario, right? If you realize you get a no to a promotion or if you bring a challenge or a problem that you're feeling at your company and nobody cares, thank goodness, because now you've just gotten, you know, green light to go find a place to work at that is going to listen to you and is going to support you and is going to champion you and your hard work. It'll just be so much more of an enjoyable experience for both sides. Absolutely. I just listened to a podcast and I apologize. I can't think of who it was, but the woman was talking about an old proverb where, you know, like he found a horse and his neighbor said, oh, this is good news. He said, it's good news or bad news. And then his son fell off the horse and each one that he thought it was good news, it ended up being bad news. And I think, yeah, we get afraid of what the news is going to be because we hate change. And also I think sometimes we want to believe that things are a certain way. Yeah. We don't want them to but again kind of like sitting in the woods in the very beginning of my story I think it's important to know what the environment really is that you're in and then you can decide to stay or not but I think it's important to know you know it's I think knowing outweighs not knowing 99.9% of the time because then you get to make a decision either way but keeping your head in the sand like an ostrich is almost never the right thing and let me just tell you avoidance only allows you to avoid things for so long. Shit will come back and get you. It never fully goes. Nope, absolutely. If you have that feeling in your stomach that something's not right, it's going to be there. It's going to come back. It'll come back louder. It'll come back in ulcers in your body or a mental breakdown or Lord knows. But let me just tell you, having been somebody that this has happened to on more than one occasion by not listening to myself in the beginning, it's never a pleasant experience. And the longer you push it off, the worse it gets. So just, it's not worth it guys. Life is too short to feel anything, but at least moderately good about what you're doing day in and day out. And ideally you should feel pretty damn good at least, you know, most of the time, no no situation is perfect. And there's never going to be that ideal company that stays ideal for you forever. Whether it's perfect for you when you take the job or not, we change, things change. All companies are is a group of people. And the more those people change, the more the company changes. So that can go good or bad too. It can, you can start out like just not getting along with the company, right? And then you realize, oh, actually it was a few key people. And as those people move on, suddenly you find your scenario is a very different thing that you thought it was. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Leanne, I'm really thankful that you're doing this and I'm so excited to see all the success you have. And I agree, this is not a movement. This is a culture shift and I'm riding it high. I'm very 
you know, it's not a, it's not a great thing that it's happening, but I think the outcome is going to be wonderful and it's going to be a complete game changer for, you know, my future kids and the generations that are coming. I'm, I'm so excited to see what the corporate landscape and just professional landscape in general looks like in like 20 years. I'm really hoping it's a whole different place. So thank you for your work in making that happen. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on today. This is great. Yeah. Thanks guys. We'll see you next time. Bye.